Welcome back, everyone, to the ninth episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, with Arjun Menon, as always. And we're doing something special for this episode, where instead of Arjun and I doing a main segment as usual, we're bringing on our guests right away, and we're going to be talking about how to bet the 2022 NFL season. So we're going to jump straight into our conversation with data scientist from PFF, Ben Brown, who can be found at PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter. Ben, how are you today? I'm I'm doing well, guys. I appreciate. I mean, you are you two are two of my favorite people. I've you know I've appreciated the opportunity to get to know you guys as like interns, you know, at PFF. And I uh, am definitely excited about being on this podcast because I've definitely enjoyed you know listening to a lot of episodes. Hopefully, we can find some insights for the people here today. Yeah, um, Ben. Again, thanks so much for coming on. We. We like to be different and kind of share some of our favorite memories or or things about our guests that we bring on the pod. You know, I, I could I could talk about how you were the first full time person at PFF I reached out to when I joined last summer, um, and and we we worked on like a little project together. But instead, you know, my favorite memory was when I reached out to you in this random weeknight in October November, asking if we could set up a call to talk about betting, and I mean, you spent like. 45 minutes of your time and and just walked me through a lot of the a lot of the ins and outs of betting plus EV strategies. And I mean, I was taking notes the whole time. And you know, I had when I was at my old apartment, I had that notes um page printed and and right on my desk. So, you know, that kind of encapsulated you as as a whole and and one of my favorite things about about you as a person and as someone I got to work with. Uh Tage, what about what about your favorite memory? Yeah, you know, it's it was, you know, getting the opportunity to to work with you for for a year, like you you always being like available. I would I would spam you in the Slack channel on uh, and, and ask you for for different kinds of data or or you know, your opinion on lots of things. And you know, you always responded, you know, no matter what time it was or what you were doing. So I always really appreciated that about you. And like working on the the war adjusted injuries lost, you know, kind of like a better way to measure the impact that like injuries could have on a team was like a project that I thought we had like a lot of fun working on together and like, you know, it's still being used at, at PFF today and everything. So I thought, I thought that was very cool that, that, you know, we, we had the opportunity to, to kind of collaborate on that and everything. Yep. I definitely appreciate the kind words guys. No, I mean, like I have not to like go off on a tangent about talking about how everyone's also great, but like I had, you know, I probably didn't have like a ton of connections with, I would say like college age type people over the past five years. So like being able to like develop a relationship with you guys, I feel like you guys are so much further ahead um, than what I ever was. And than what I have ever imagined like college age people to be both from like just an analytics perspective, but just like how smart you guys are, how you think about things, how you approach things, how you're willing to, you know, kind of seek out that like mentorship type relationship. So I think it's like, you know, it's only going to get easier for you guys. Uh, the more like, genuine interest that you show in those sorts of things. And I do think that, you know, both your personalities, uh, you know, cater so well to being able to develop a lot of these skill sets that you guys already have and are going to continue to have. So I've been, you know, blown away with, you know, your work ethic, uh, how smart you guys are and everything else. And I think it's been, you know, mainly a pleasure of mine to be able to get to converse with you when we have the opportunity. So yeah, yeah. really appreciate you saying that. And me and Arjun had, had kind of had that conversation with where we're talking about like high schoolers who are doing football analytics work now 
um, and, and putting that out on Twitter. And, you know, me and Arjun were talking about it. We're like, wow, like, at least for me, like when I was in high school, you know, I was copy and pasting data from pro football reference and putting it into Google Sheets and making graphs from there. Like these high schoolers are making machine learning models with, with R and Python now. So it's kind of cool to see like the next wave of people uh, do that type of stuff and, you know, get into to analytics and everything. So like, you know, for, for everyone out there, can you kind of describe your journey of like how you got into football analytics? Yeah, definitely. So I would say I I probably more or less came in through like the back door, I would say in a lot of ways. So I was very much uh, involved in like the gambling and betting space more so than I was in the analytics space. And I kind of think that um, there was almost just like so much overlap related to what I was trying to solve from like, a you know, probability, conditional probability, statistics type uh, measurements and those sorts of things where I kind of like backed into uh, this idea of like analytics and football analytics and didn't really know that it, what I was even doing was probably called analytics, but I was, you know, trying to kind of put together like systems or models or processes in place where I could predict the future of football games and the outcomes, right? And mainly I was trying to do that at like an individual player level uh, for like daily fantasy sports and those sorts of things, actually trying to make somewhat accurate projections that I could feed into this sort of like optimized lineup type situation. So um, that was kind of my first foray into it from like a betting fantasy sports um, avenue. And I do think that's probably kind of the way in the direction that I still go. Obviously PFF does a lot of like the NFL and college football analytics. I do think, you know, you guys especially have explored a lot of those kind of unique cutting edge type topics where I've more mainly stuck to more of like the, the, like the analytics from like a gambling and a fantasy perspective. And I do think that's probably, you know, my main niche, I would say in the analytics space right now. Yeah, no, that, that sounds great, Ben. And, you know, now that you're at PFF, um, we, we, you know, we both, me and Tage both worked with Eric eager and uh, when he's speaking on the forecast and, or, you know, when he hops on the betting pot, he commonly refers to you as like his partner in crime when it, when it comes to betting, like, can you talk about like how important it is to have like a betting partner, like Eric, someone who you can converse with or talk with or discuss like why you're, you might be on one side, but he could be on the other. Like why, why is having that other person so important? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is, it is so important. I think, um, you know, kind of like basically everything you do in life, it's so much easier to, achieve things, kind of like achieve your goals, continue on, you know, pushing towards those goals. If you have somebody that is willing to push you, help you have those conversations with you along the way. Right. And I do think we talked to, or I mentioned it basically like this mentory mentorship type um, relationship, but there's also like a partner type relationship. And I do think those are the spots where you learn the most, where you have, you know, multiple insights um, from multiple people kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. And I think that only helps strengthen your understanding and your beliefs and makes you like much better overall and what you're actually trying to accomplish. And I think, you know, for me personally, like I've, I've had that at different stages in different areas. Like I would say that I kind of got into, you know, betting and gambling in general from like uh, playing Texas Hold'em mainly, you know, online and those sorts of things. And I kind of had a small group of friends where we would bounce off not only like ideas about hands and how to play, but like specific hands, how to play those, uh, and then more like bankroll type strategy and those sorts of things. So I do think having multiple people who you trust, getting their input uh, is by far the easiest way to grow as opposed to kind of trying to do everything on your own. And I do think that kind of is the way the way to do things probably in all walks of life. It's probably the reason why 
you know, tech founders obviously have multiple people working on one specific thing because it's really hard to be this type of lone wolf type person. I do think if you find somebody like, you know, I found with Eric where we do have a lot of the same interests, a lot of the same ideas, but still have enough of a differing opinion in a lot of spots where we can make each other better. Um, it's only going to make you fat, better, faster, and it's only going to make you more successful quicker, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That, I mean, I, it's, I'm glad that you and Eric have, have been able to work together on so many things and, you know, had, have like, you know, had a, a lot of success working on it. What are some of like the favorite bets that, uh, that you and Eric have won together, or maybe you've won individually also? Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I kind of want to bring it back to like the very first sports bet I ever made. So like I, I said, I, I used to play like a lot of online poker and was really heavily involved in that scene, especially in college. So like when I talk to you guys, I always, I always like think back to the glory days of playing like online poker when I was in college, when I should have been in class, probably building up some of those machine learning models, or at least <laughs> learning more about Python or R or something else. But I wasn't right. I was kind of learning this idea of like statistics and probability, uh, not necessarily in a textbook, but like in the streets of the online poker world, right? Playing a lot of hands, doing a lot of those sorts of things. So there was actually this opportunity. uh, It goes back to 2006. I know I'm dating myself a little bit right now, but I was going into my sophomore year of college. It was early September and there was kind of this gold rush that's almost, you know, in some ways happening right now from a sports betting perspective, but I think it was probably even bigger than what we are experiencing right now in the poker community and in the sports betting community offshore, especially uh, because it was really, it was only legalized basically in Vegas at that time, but there was kind of this landmass or grab uh, of various sports books and poker rooms trying to get as many players into their system, into their database as possible. So one, one particular website called mansion poker uh, for the first NFL game of the season, it was 2006, the Pittsburgh Steelers were playing uh, the Miami Dolphins. And this mansion poker came out with uh, a marketing ploy, basically, where they would offer you uh, a risk-free bet. If you bet on the Steelers, if you bet $1,100 on the Steelers to cover the spread, uh, if they lost, they would give you your original stake back. If they won, if the Steelers ended up covering and winning outright, uh, you get your, you get the thousand dollars in winnings or whatever. So I was, you know, a sophomore in college. I had a decent amount of money because I was playing a lot of poker. I understood risk and everything else. So I actually did it for myself early on, um, early on in like the overall process. And the line I think was like minus three and a half for Pittsburgh. And like as more and more time came on and the game got closer and closer, I was like, man, I should really get some of my fellow college people, my fellow college friends that I do trust involved in this as well right so have a, have them sign up accounts give them some money uh give them a certain percentage if it won or you know basically get the money back if they lost so i did this for you know a handful of other people um and it was honestly the greatest game ever it's still like looking back on it like my most enjoyable nfl game i've ever had it was the first time i ever bet i had bet way more than i was probably comfortable with betting at that point um and it, it was because it was supposed to be this like risk-free idea uh, but there was definitely probably still risk as far as like if they were even going to pay out if the Steelers didn't end up winning, uh, if they had enough money to cover the assets, if there was, you know, obviously certain other things with needing to uh, put money in an online casino account and those sorts of things, especially offshore in those days was definitely risky as well. Uh, but it was it was honestly the greatest game ever. We I remember I had like minus three and a half on my account and then for a lot of the other places, the line had moved. So I was up to like minus four and a half, minus five. Uh, for a couple of those books. And I remember um, the Steelers were down basically 
uh, three points. They ended up scoring a touchdown to go up four. They got the ball back. Um, and their field goal kicker missed the missed the field goal basically that would have pushed them up to seven. And there was like two minutes and thirty five seconds left. This is when Charlie Batch. I think they actually had drafted Ben Roethlisberger, and this was like his very first, very first year, very first game. And it was the one game he didn't start this year for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. Um, maybe maybe this wasn't. Maybe he was like out for very first game. But Charlie Batch was playing quarterback for the Steelers. Ended up missing that field goal that would have covered all the bets for me. And then. Dolphins are driving. They get the ball back. First play, uh, drop back to pass or whatever. Joey Porter ends up like cutting off like the slant route underneath, picks the ball off, takes it to the house. They end up going up 11. Steelers win. It was like the greatest thing ever because I was watching it with all these people who were like definitely some were emotionally invested, some were like financially invested with me as well. And it was just like the greatest feeling ever. So that was, I would still consider to this day, I have one more money. Uh, maybe on like different situations, but that was still like the icing on the cake and kind of the thing that actually hooked me from a sports betting perspective, I would say. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's gotta be like one of the best intro stories to betting I think I've ever heard. <laughs> um, but Ben, you know, like one of, one of the, so, so we've talked a lot about like pregame bets and like the whole off seasons just about preseason bets and win totals and futures, but like, I feel like one market that, you can maybe have an edge in is, is live betting. And this is something yep. you and Eric did last year for the playoff games. You had the PFF live streams, you know, Tage was a guest on one of them. And I mean, those are really enjoyable. Um, and just yesterday, you and me were texting about the wings fever where you and me were betting the wings when they were down 17 Your degenerate self took the wings money line <laughs> uh, plus 400 and that, that one. And I was, I was just like, okay, I'll take them six and a half and that one also. But like, I mean, you have really found a niche in, in live betting and especially in the WNBA, but like, you know, relating it back to football, I know us three have talked about like live betting strategies in the 2021 season. Can you talk about like how live betting is, is going to become bigger in, in the future and like why, you know, you're probably better off, like honestly, like live betting instead of like placing like a lot more pregame bets. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree 100% with what you said. I do think like, and it's, it's so hard to provide like really good analysis and content around live betting, right? Partially because, you know, a lot of people don't have the, the historical data and information. And part of it is just like, it's so new. There's so much data. It's so much different than modeling like a pregame spread. Um, Cause there is like, things are constantly changing that I think if you are, you know, it's, it's much less, I would say, model-based approaches that you can take, right? And I do think there's things that you can set up a, a historical framework that makes it really worthwhile and really profitable, but you have to understand what you're actually doing. And I do think, you know, even talking with like Tage this, this past summer, like he showed me some things that we were initially looking at from an in-game perspective that I wasn't aware of. And I think relating it back to where we were last night, there are, if you sit down and watch, um, like a game, it can be an NFL game. I'm probably going to talk more about the WNBA right now because that's where my head is at right now. But like, if you were sitting down and watching a WNBA game and you have four or so books open, you have like DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, maybe points bet or something like that. You can see bigger gyrations of where that spread is at across those books than you will see all week throughout the throughout the course of a betting week. So you have all these people that talk about oh, I got this closing line value on this particular thing. I got this half point on here, half point on there. You could literally log on to any of these five sites and see one and a half to two and a half to three and a half point spread differentials at the same time 
in live betting. So I do think that's that's the spot that creates opportunities because these books are not necessarily, some of them are definitely doing better than others. And that was one thing that uh, Tej actually showed me as we, he, he kind of graphed out um, like the, the in-game spreads and totals that we have from an NFL perspective for a 2021 season. And the one book that I think was like most far off on his particular research, the majority of the times was bet MG was bet MGM from an in-game perspective. And that's something that I've almost tried to test in WNBA. And you mentioned it last night, but when I placed a bet on the Liberty or on, on the wings at plus nine and a half plus 400 on the money line, they were plus five and a half at every other book. They were plus six and a half at every other book. So there was a three point differential between bet MGM and every other book. That is just something that you're just not going to find in a pregame betting market. Right. Um, so it's really hard for books to stay up to date, not only on the information that's coming in, but on where the rest of the market is. So I do think that um, for anybody that has the time, it is, it is definitely a time commitment. It's not something that you're going to be able to like, you know, earn money while you sleep. And in a lot of ways, it is kind of like, you know, trading stocks and those sorts of things. But if you have the time and you have the understanding and the overall framework, uh, I think it's definitely the most profitable way that you can actually make money betting sports right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great insight. And yeah, I'm glad that the, some of the research we were able to do is kind of helping you with your live betting. And like, what I think is interesting, like for like, from like a modeling perspective, it seems like a lot of these books are using similar modeling techniques and similar data, right? Like when, when we're, when we want to create our live lines just to like test that if we can get it close to the books, like, you know, we usually use some type of gradient boosted tree. And mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of these books are using that except bet MGM, which probably is using a, a different modeling technique or different type of data. So when you can use the wisdom of the crowd of the other four books, and if they all have the exact same line, because they're using, you know, same data or same modeling technique, but then bet MGM is using different data, different modeling technique. You can start to see some transparency there. And like, you know, what you mentioned, it's kind of like closing line value, but like, it's like a live thing where like, you know, chances are the other four books are going to be right more of the time than like the one outlier. So you want to, you want to kind of like lean into that when you see a, a big disparity between the books. Yeah. And you can also like open up middles in those, you know, opportunities and then, um, it is obviously, you know, more difficult to have like this very finite range of outcomes for that particular game. But when the spread is kind of gravitating or moving back and forth in between that ranges, that does mean it is the most likely spot where that game is actually going to end up. So um, it is actually probably more profitable than what people even understand right now to actually kind of try and middle some of these in-game opportunities based based somewhat on, you know, who has the ball possession, how the books are pricing it, but also shopping around for some of those outlier situations. Because if a book is, you know, lower on one team, there is going to be another book that's probably higher on that team. And there's, there's probably always maybe going to be like a half point to a one point to even further out uh, distance between those two books. And I do think that, you know, if you're watching it and taking, you know, you can definitely take advantage of it in those situations. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like, even like, you know, when, when it comes to the NFL, like if you're studying it during the season and kind of seeing, you know, which teams are better during their scripted plays, uh, you know, at the first one or two drives of the game and then which teams are better, like second half teams, um, you know, we talked a lot about the Buccaneers last year and they got off to a couple of slow starts, but you know, at least when they had Antonio Brown, like their offense was just so explosive and so good that even if they went down like 10 zero to the Falcons in the first quarter, they would end up winning the game by right. you know, double digit points. And like the live lines was like, you know, if you, if you kind of had a good feeling about like the Bucks 
second half, like that's that's when you could really look at the live lines and stuff. Right, right. And that was actually and like one of the bigger insights I think that I pulled. Like I haven't looked at it in a couple of months. Unfortunately, there's been some other projects at PFF that we are absolutely trying to get out. Um, you know, for this particular season, I think the live betting type stuff is more going to be, you know, a next year type of thing. So it has, it has kind of been on the back burner uh, from my work perspective, but I do think like some of the framework ideas that, you know, you and I Tej kind of at least, you know, initially looked at was that the favorite, the pregame favorite is still uh, there's still a heavy bias towards that in the in-game market. And we did see, especially when like an underdog team kind of jumped out to an early lead, um, they kind of at least held on to it, or at least were able to kind of cover that in-game spread a lot more times than what that pregame favorite that fell down right away, that kind of was coming from behind, was actually able to make up. And I do think that flipped something in like my um, in-game type strategy, because before I was always like, oh, if the Chiefs get down, I'm going to bet them here. I'm going to bet them at this time. And I think if you look at, not necessarily from a team perspective, but from like a league-wide perspective, these teams that are heavy favorites early you know early on in the week and they kind of close as like seven point favorites or more if they get down early uh that in-game spread is always going to be probably overly biased towards them because people are going to continue to kind of you know side with that opportunity they're going to see the whole like this is value thing because i could have i should have i maybe would have bought into them at you know minus seven pregame now they're minus two and a half uh even though they're down 14 points or whatever like that so i do think that that's one thing that shifted in me and is something that I found to be relatively profitable, even from a WNBA perspective is something that I'm going to focus on in the NFL as well as like not necessarily catering or moving in the direction of those favorites that are down early in game, uh, but kind of buying into the fact that um, some of these underdogs are probably better than expected. And they actually still probably can cover that in-game spread, even though it might not necessarily be uh, the best price that you could have gotten them at earlier, I would say. Yeah, no, that was that was great, Ben. And you know, live betting is going to be such a big part of, like, I feel like the people's um, strategies. And I know I'm going to try to take advantage of it um, when I'm watching games. Um, I wanted to transition to some of the 2022 bets you like. You know, we could we could start with like any if there's win totals are probably like a, the most efficient market right now in, in futures. Um, but are there any like win total? Uh, bets that you like or or you you could st- still see some value in placing you know at this time of the year yeah i still think like and i know and this is one like you know we talked about eric earlier he is uh on the complete opposite side of me but i actually kind of like uh the arizona cardinals this year and i do think that um some of their you know overarching um you know power ratings and those sorts of things i think are a little off base based on this idea that they can't finish out the second half of seasons or something. So them to go over 8.5 wins, uh, you know, minus one Oh five price. I think that's a decent opportunity for, you know, an over, obviously we don't really want to bet a ton of overs, but I do think if you don't really buy into Trey Lance being like being as good as people project him to be right away. um, I do think the Cardinals are going to be the team that definitely takes advantage of that. If you think, the, the Rams have at all, you know, any sort of slip ups, I would say, off of the Super Bowl. If maybe, um, you know, Matthew Stafford's elbow tendonitis or something else is maybe a little bit worse than what they're they're letting on right now. Uh, the Cardinals are like the one team that I think benefit from all of those scenarios. And I do think, you know, there's there's been nothing but 
negative sentiment towards them, both from like mm. the Kyler Murray contract situation, okay. um, the second half thing. Obviously, Cliff Kingsbury kind of is what he is. I, I don't necessarily think he's all that great of a coach, but I do think that that is probably overly baked into the market right now. So I do like the Cardinals probably to go over the win total is one spot that I can still uh, see quite a bit of value on from my perspective. I'm curious what your thoughts are. What are, what are some things I know Arjun, you've gotten basically closing line value on like every, every pick you've given out here um, on the podcast. Is there anyone that, I mean, is there one that you looked at recently? Cause like, I haven't been overly um, like invested in, in, in some of these futures markets now I've kind of shifted my focus to some of like the more spreads and totals, but I'd be curious what you're kind of finding out um, over the last week or so. Yeah, I know. I, I really like the reasoning behind the Cardinals bet. I like, I placed like five win total bets and all of them have been unders um, <laughs> right, just because right. like in the AFC, it's hey so there. tough to place an over. And I kind of missed the, the initial Jets and Jaguars trains that, right. Um, you know, you know, Tage gave it out at like minus, I think one six, one fifty five, and now it's like minus one seventy five to go over five and a half for the Jets. But yeah, I mean, like it's funny that I've given out, like I've given out my picks, and I, like I couldn't even bet it because I was in California. So and like I, I don't feel comfortable. Like I didn't want to lock up my lock up my money offshore. Um, right. But but like one one bet I recently placed that um, I, I'm pretty sure our friend Judah, who's who's another, who's going to be another interviewer on this podcast, like we really like the Titans under and like to not make the playoffs. And like Mike Rabel as a coach has been four and oh at going over his win totals, but this might be the worst team he's had in his, in his tenure. And like, it's not only taking the under nine and a half, which is like, I think minus minus one thirty or something. We took the under eight and a half for like plus plus one sixty, And I think go. on DraftKings or Caesars, it's under eight at plus 200. Now I think, like I, I'd rather just take the eight and a half and, and take plus one sixty. Um, but the Titans are our team where it's like you're replacing AJ Brown with Traylon Burks. That's a downgrade. You're right. you know Robert Woods is coming off an ACL injury and like while he's a great receiver, there's no telling like how he's going to come back from that type of thing. Derrick Henry's already passed the fifteen hundred uh, carry threshold that Tage right. has talked about. I mean the offensive line lost Roger Saffold in the off season. The defense kind of, to me, was really lucky last year. And, I mean, their corners are, like, average. But with how volatile coverage is, I mean, we really don't know how their corners are going to play out. So if they regress, that defense is going to take a step back. So also, And with all signs pointing towards the Colts being better, the Jaguars being better, um, and the, I guess the Texans are competent. Like, I'm, I'm res- expecting some regression from the Titans this year. So that's under eight and a half is one bet that I really like. Yeah, I like, I like that, too. I do think... Um, I, I didn't necessarily play the Titans under, and I do agree with you. I think if you're going to do that now, the alt unders uh, are probably probably the better approach than just taking them straight up against their win total right now. Uh, but I played it more from like the Colts perspective. I did get some plus money on them to win the AFC South. I think they're probably going to run away with it. Um, mm-hmm. I expect, you know, I expect Matt Ryan to uh, pretty drastically uh, improve that offense overall. And I think that's only going to make things easier for Jonathan Taylor. I think it's going to bring out the best of Michael Pittman as well. Uh, it sounds like Alec Pierce is definitely uh, taking hold early on in training camp. So um, I think the Colts are maybe the other spot you can play it. Of course, their, 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 you know, division win odds have moved pretty drastically in their favor now. So you probably don't want to bet it anymore, but um, I would look at, like you said, I think the alt, the alt under alt over, uh, markets are 
probably some of the best opportunities that you can find from a win totals perspective right now, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I really like all those win totals that you guys threw out there. I, I definitely agree with, with both sides for those because I think it comes down to quarterback play, right? Like Kyler Murray, because of the contract stuff or because of, you know, how the second half of God has probably become underrated in the eyes of most people. And like he, like people forget, like the Cardinals, like, started off the season very, very hot last year, right? Like they were 10 and two at one point, um, you know, before the the eventual collapse happened. But like, if he's able to keep that up the whole year, I, I do see the Cardinals going over. And then Ryan Tannehill is probably overrated in the eyes of a lot of people because of, you know, how much he was propped up these past couple of years, uh, when at the end of the day, he's just a Kirk, right? So <laughs> it's, it, it, when Derrick Henry, you know, regresses uh, because of his, what year he's in and how many carries he's had. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, I think could, could go down with him too, but uh, you know, from aside, you know, win totals aside, is there, is there any week one spreads that you like right now? I mean, so this was one I've kind of been, I was hammering early on. It did move some, but I do think, I do think the Broncos and they're a team that I'm low on this year, much lower than market expectation, mm-hmm. but week one against Seattle in Seattle, there's like no way. Russell Wilson's not going to take him to the woodshed. I would say, I don't know. I think, cause I, I, I kind of believe at least Russell Wilson uh, early on in the season. So I do think that, you know, four it was at four to open. I want to say, I'm trying to find it exactly where it is right now. I think it's four um, and a half. Is it four and a half? Yeah. So moved up a little bit. I still think they're going to win by like double digit touchdowns or something. So I like that one. Um, I do. Tampa Bay's kind of like moved down, I would say. Uh, again, I think they were two and a half uh, on the road against Dallas to start. Now they're down to one and a half. I think if that gets, you know, I don't hate them on the money line at minus 125. I do think Dallas is probably going to be worse uh, than what people are projecting. I do think offense, you know, especially offensively, I think they might struggle early on. So I don't hate Tampa Bay. I think maybe the reason it moved um, against them a little bit is, you know, some of the wide receiver injury type situations, but I do think that's basically been all positive lately. So um, I like that one. I know I just talked about the Arizona Cardinals, but I do think the chiefs Mm -hmm. uh, minus three on the road in Arizona is going to be a spot where they can definitely take advantage of. So I don't know what, what, what are you guys, what have you guys bet already for week one? I bet, I bet, you know, quite a few, I would say teasers um, already. I bet some like Vikings, uh Patriots teasers was kind of like my favorite one and I bet in a few spreads but uh that's kind of the spot where I'm looking at now I'm wondering what you guys have gotten gotten action down on yeah I I'm I I got a little nervous like I want to wait for like injuries and that's probably not the right approach but I I really like the Chiefs minus three I mean like the thing with like the Chiefs is like you can't blitz them. And even though they don't have Tyree Kill anymore, Vance Joseph is one of the most aggressive defensive coordinators in the NFL. And if he's going to be throwing out all these random blitzes with Isaiah Simmons or Zayvon Collins coming off the edge, I mean, I believe that Patrick Mahomes is going to take full advantage of that. And every year I make a graph like Patrick Mahomes is like the greatest September quarterback in, in right. NFL history, <laughs> the greatest week one quarterback in NFL history. Like, I, I'm not like Andy Reid is going to be like showing the world all the new tricks that he drew up in the offseason. Right. So, I mean, after after recorded this, I'm probably just going to go bet Chiefs minus three at this point. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, that that's probably one bet that I really like. Tage, anything yeah. anything from you? Yeah, I yeah I, I like the Chiefs also. It's I think it's a combination of you know September Andy Reid. Uh, you know Eric has showed before 
he he Andy Reid's scheme is very unique the first two weeks of the season that he kind of hides some stuff and then it becomes mm-hmm. very unique again in the playoffs so I think he's gonna have a lot of stuff and like the Chiefs kind of have to like since Tyree Kill has been like talking so much this offseason the Chiefs right. have to kind of show like oh like we're, we're gonna be just fine without you like <laughs> like that I think right. they could show that they could show that uh week one um uh, you know right. again, I, I don't think Eric is, is necessarily gonna like this but if I had to pick a side in Eagles Lions, I would take Eagles minus three and a half. I just think the Eagles are a really good football team. Uh, top three offensive line is going to handle a pretty weak Lions defensive line. Um, you know, AJ Brown's debut and, you know, all reports about that is, you know, it's going very well there. Uh, you know, the like no Jamison Williams, I think, to start the season for the Lions is is going to kind of hold back their offense. And then once he gets out there, I think they can, they can, you know, kind of live up to the hype that people are expecting of them right now. But since he's not going to be there week one, there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces at wide receiver, adding DJ Chark uh, and everything. So I, I think the Lions might start a little slow to start the season. So that's why I would, I would take the Eagles there um, minus three and a half. I was gonna ask you about that game, so I'm glad I didn't even have to bring it up because I do like I, I do think Eric loves like like Lions plus four and Eagles have obviously been by far the most public team I would say this offseason. I was uh, I would I don't want to consider it luck or fortune or something because I I believe it was some foresight, but I do have some really early Eagles futures, so I haven't necessarily like uh, done anything with this particular game because I kind of I I have like some decent futures expectations for both of these teams. So I don't even know if I'm going to get involved with it, but I would love to see Detroit show out here. And I would also love to see uh, the Eagles actually look really good as well. So I don't really have a strong feel on the game. I do think three and a half kind of like you said, it was a little bit short, but I think minus four, I don't think I could really touch the Eagles from my perspective. What, what are you, what are your thoughts on that game Arjun? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would lean Eagles in that game. I think, I don't know. I I'm like neutral on the lines. I'm not, you know, I, I think you're not restoring the roar with us. huh? <laughs> well, not yet. Maybe if they convince me early in the season, I'll hop on the bandwagon, but I, I don't know. I think, I think the Eagles will, will probably like dominate in the run game a little bit. And right. we, I know me and Tage watched Eagles lines last year and that was a blowout. And like in the second game they played. So, I mean, they all, like I said, all, or like Tate said, all signs have been pointing towards the Eagles being good this year. And right. like the reports have been pretty good out of camp. So um, I, I think they'll, they'll be able to handle it. But, but Ben, I think, you know, we're going to wrap it up here. This was, you know, one of the best conversations we've had on the pod. We really appreciate your time. Um, if you don't follow Ben, not only on Twitter, but on TikTok at PFF underscore Ben Brown, where he did give out the Eagles features uh early in march right did i actually i totally forgot that i gave if i did (laughs) i haven't made a video in so long i need and i my plan is to get back on it unfortunately you two guys are supposed to be my tiktok experts now and i have i have had zero radio silence as far as uh feedback for my tiktok game so we're gonna all need to step that up a little bit here i guess but i will we'll be on it for football season i think this is the week that we wrap up uh some of the bigger projects coming for pff.com uh, this year, especially with our mobile app and everything else. And then it's just, it's going to be a full on content onslaught from me. I will say that much. So yeah, really excited for that. And again, Ben really want to thank you for coming on to our listeners at Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown, find his work at PFF, uh, PFF betting 
for uh, PFF betting podcast, if that comes back. Uh, but also, you know, I know Ben has some really fun things in the works when it comes to podcasts. So be on the lookout for that. And now we'll transition into our next interview with Judah Fortgang. We're now delighted to have our good friend and fellow PFF research and development intern, Judah Fortgang, join the podcast. Um, I had the pleasure of spending some time with Judah in Cincinnati this past week. So, you know, Judah, really nice to meet you in person for the first time. And, you know, as always, we we like to share our favorite memory or or thing about our guests that we bring on. And my favorite memory was this past season, the 2021 season, where we were kind of the first person I ever saw using like EPA per drive to really like evaluate NFL offenses. And that whole idea of like offensive drives are kind of like a sequence and, you know, you it's a good way to measure like drive to drive consistency. And that was something I'd never really thought about much in depth. And it, it kind of gave me some new insight that I was really interested in. So, you know, really appreciate you for, you know, taking the time to kind of build that out and something that no one's really, really seen before. Yeah. Thank you. It's great. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming on Judas. I think this could be a lot of fun. Um, you know, my favorite piece that, that you put out, uh, was Derrick Henry being an opportunity cost problem and like how you kind of like dissected that and, you know, how I thought it was really interesting. Like what, what the conclusion you came to was, you know, him being so good uh, at least in the Titans mind was like kind of hurting their offense um, because of like the opportunity cost of the pass first run. Uh, so yeah, really excited to, to have you on today to talk about like, you know, stuff like that and kind of like the way you, you think and everything. Can you kind of take us through like how you got into sports analytics and then betting or maybe it was betting and then sports analytics? Yes. Yeah, so I think the journey really starts uh, with like DFS, which is I kind of started playing that as like a 16 year old. Um not exactly sure what got me into it. Maybe it was the appeal of like, you can win a million dollars on a Sunday. And like every 16 year old who's a football fan, I was like, Oh, I can do this. <laughs> uh, but I had a bunch of success there, uh, which kind of got me into like football specifically. Uh, from there I kept on playing. Uh, and I guess like I had a friend, it's not really such a sexy story. I had a friend who uh, was starting betting and you'd always talk football and he was like, come like, join me. Like let's bet together. Uh, and I started kind of got into betting that way sports analytics um i don't think i have a very traditional story like i basically studied political philosophy um, but i knew from the time i was a kid that i like loved sports wanted to do everything uh, i could to, to get into sports but as a 5'8 jewish kid who weighs 170 pounds i, I realized that actually playing the sport wasn't going to do it um so i kind of just tried to find a way in and i saw like you guys did a great job and kind of paving the path and seeing that if you just posted kind of public work on Twitter, uh, you can sort of get a chance. And I knew nothing about stats. I knew very little math. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to write. And I published this piece about Derrick Henry and Ben Baldwin, like retweeted it right away. And I was like, wow, okay, maybe I really can, uh, you know, write and maybe there'll be an audience and I can take my chances. Yeah, no, that, that's so great. And again, like we're, I was so fortunate to meet you like the past, this past season and start talking ball with you towards the end of the year. And, I mean, working this whole summer with you on various projects has been was has been great. And I mean, you and me both don't come from math backgrounds. I mean, I'm not even studying statistics or data science at, at Michigan. So it's it's been pretty cool that number one, that like we've made it this far. And number two, like it's it, we really want to thank like people like Eric for like kind of like taking a chance on us. And we kind of hope that we 
or at least I kind of hope that I, I make him proud with some of the work that we do. But, but yeah, like uh, sticking on the theme with like daily fantasy, like I, I kind of agree with you there. Like I, I was like your age and Yahoo does like the free daily fantasy every week. And like, I would just like throw out random lineups sometimes. And like, I never understood the whole idea of like blow up, like blow up models like Ben, Ben Brown does or, or like the importance of like stacking explosive offensive, like quarterback and receiver groups. Like, can you talk about like your strategy for DFS and like you've won a couple big uh, competitions when it comes to DFS? Like, can you explain your strategy and give some some of our listeners some some secrets? Yeah, so I guess it's it's really changed over time. Uh, that's the honest answer. At first, I was just like putting in uh, players I thought were good. Then I learned like very quickly you should be stacking uh, stuff like that. Uh, and then I think really uh, at this point, I I kind of take it from a uh, most people have like a bottom up approach, which is like, OK, I'm in this da- like daily fantasy game. Uh, how can I make the best lineup given uh, what drafting prices are, what fans prices are, et cetera? I'm more looking at it at this point of like I have a bunch of different football theses and like daily fantasy is one particular market and they have salaries in the same way that uh, betting markets like at a team total has a team total price. So I'm basically saying, OK, if I like the Titans this week, I think they're going to score 28 points. You know, they're going up against a, a bad run defense uh, and they happen to have a very condensed share of where the touches are going to go, which is something I'm looking for in in DFS, uh, especially on DraftKings, which I play um, where they have like a point per reception. And I'm basically saying, OK, if the Titans are going to score 28 points, their salaries for the for, you know, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown, let's use an example from last year, are pretty low. This is actually the best market to exploit my thesis that the Titans are going to score 28 points because the prices are low. We know where the. Uh, points are going to flow th- like from through these three guys. Uh, and on DraftKings this week, their team total is 28. They're minus 110. I'm not really getting value there. Where I am getting value is in their low prices on DraftKings. So I'm essentially taking daily fantasy as like one part of my bigger portfolio. That's kind of how I approach it now. Uh, that was definitely not true in the past. In the past, it was more so like, let me just stack the players. Let me read basically every content uh, provider that I can and just like whatever like stuck, stuck. And I got pretty lucky. Uh, I've won a couple of times. I think my process has gotten a lot more sound uh, over the years. Uh, it's certainly been a, a fun journey though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, lo- I love the way that you think about that. And, you know, I think it's cool how you, you approach it like, uh, like kind of like a stock portfolio where you want to diversify your assets and, you know, but still like have some similar things so that, you know, if, if all of those things hit that, uh, that it works out for you. And, you know, I think like one of the things that's been like most impressive um, from like a, you know, my perspective about like your, your betting history and stuff is you saw that the Buccaneers in 2020, like midway through the season, uh, weren't being talked about enough as Super Bowl contenders. And then you saw the Bengals as the same thing, uh, early on in the 2021 season. And, you know, uh, the Bucks went on to go win the Super Bowl. The Bengals went on to go shock everyone and make the Super Bowl. Can you kind of take us through like how you arrived to those conclusions as well? Yeah, I mean, you did you did cherry pick my best two calls I'll probably ever. <laughs> uh, so it's hard. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, uh, and I certainly did this in the past, kind of viewed betting as like through mean outcomes, like what's most likely to happen, as opposed to kind of viewing like a distribution. And I'm always trying to look for different tails on each end. Um, and with the Bucks in like particular, I noticed that they like changed the way they ran their offense uh, after the buy with Tom Brady. They were like throwing the ball way deeper. Uh, on early down specifically. Uh, and I said, okay, if all of these things come together, what's basically their ceiling? As opposed to thinking like, okay, taking into account everything, what's their like mean or median outcome? 
And I said, like, okay, let's look at the, like the components here. We've got Tom Brady, got elite wide receivers with like Godwin, uh, Brown, and Evans. Like this team could be the best offense. And they had shown like a little flash of that uh, basically from the post buy. I think it was like week 12 or week 13 or whatever it was. And I said, okay, if all these pieces came together, this is a team that can win the Super Bowl. And it's all, it's all I should mention, it's all relative to price, which is like, if this was a, a team that was favored to win the Super Bowl, I'm not really making a great argument here. But it's saying, okay, the market's really building in like a very low prior. And a, okay, this Bucks team went 11 and six. They're probably not that good. As opposed to saying, okay, if everything goes right, then what can happen? That's the that's the Bucks example. Uh, with the Bengals, I think it was really, again, all relative to price. Like I got them in the preseason at like 150 to one. Um, and I, I, this is, <laughs> uh, I was looking back at this recently, actually. It's the, it's the I sent the message to, to Ben Brown, uh, basically saying that, uh, I, I thought that the Joe Burrow can't throw deep narrative was really just like AJ Green wasn't that good. Um, and how Jamar Chase is going to unlock the, the deep passing. That was the best call I'll ever make. I'll, I'll, I got lucky there, um, but I, I can be open about that. Um, but again, it's, it's a matter of uh, almost building in projection and building in a ceiling outcome, which is I saw a former number one overall pick who was pretty good. We didn't know that much about. Uh, who was adding, we knew we knew Jamar Chase would be a very good receiver, or we at least had a high hopes that he'd be a very good receiver. Um, and it's like, okay, I'm going to bet on a number one overall quarterback who's shown pretty good flashes and like a really good receiving court. That's what wins in 2021 NFL. Like, yes, I'm building in a little bit of projection that Joe Burrow is going to take the next step. Uh, I'm building in a little bit of a projection that Jamar Chase is going to, uh, you know, be the receiver that we thought he'd be with a, with a top pick. But at the end of the day, this is kind of the ceiling that you're chasing after. And if you have a quarterback and three really good receivers, uh, that's exactly what wins. And I know it, that's kind of what happened. And they had that explosive offense that I, that I thought they they might have. And uh, before I knew it, they were playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know that. Like, I, I think that that was such a fun, a fun um, bet that I, I saw you make. And when you posted under Peter Schrager, I was like, damn, like Judah, Judah actually knows, you know, like, it, it, like he knows just who's going to make the Super Bowl every year. So maybe, you know, we'll, we'll get into like who you'd like this year, but, but yeah, the, the Bengals are interesting because, because like, I really like how you brought up the whole, like, you don't want to target the mean outcome. You're, you're chasing like the range of outcomes because like the Bengals were not like that great of a team in 2021, like in predictables betting market implied power rankings, had them at 16th. Like, so they're mean, like power rankings per like Vegas was like a league average team, right? And you look at some of the opponents they played, some of the luck they generated, and that's kind of like where that's kind of like the outcome you come to. But yeah, you're right. Like Jamar Chase and T Higgins, I mean that that was one of the most explosive like offenses um, in the NFL. And like you know, I want I wanted to transition into like your EPA per drive stuff because like one of the things you looked at was like how teams perform like on a drive per drive basis and, like the Bengals were not that great of a, a great of an offense in that metric like can you talk a little bit about like how you use EPA per drive to, in your betting ideas and like what you bet on and um like overall like how did that idea come to fruition yeah so I think EPA per drive is supposed to EPA per play which is EPA per play is very valuable in looking at players I think uh, because like you can't really have an EPA per drive metric and then say who are the you know best cornerbacks when thrown at, who are the best quarterbacks, et cetera. But I think it's the best we can do with team strength. Uh, and I think there are kind of two reasons for that. The first is what you alluded to earlier, uh, which is like sequencing, that I think that's kind of how offensive coordinators and play callers actually view uh, sort of the natural unit of analysis, which is like they don't care if they're scoring on a particular play. 
uh, so much as it's helping the next play uh, become a scoring play. Really that everything kind of fits together. And I think they're game planning as such. The second thing that I noticed was that like EPA per play is like kind of a quasi EPA per play and EPA per drive. Because the way the metric is derived is saying not what are your expected points on this play particular. It's what's your expected points on this play given the drive and like your likelihood of scoring on that drive. So in some sense, that's also kind of the uh, natural unit. The interesting thing with the Bengals and EPA per drive uh, was that like they were a real example of like what an explosive offense could do. Mm-hmm. And I actually looked at EPA per drive in tandem with like the value of explosive plays. And I basically I made this uh, argument on the on the PFF website in, in February that basically uh, like first downs, it's it's a conditional probability problem, which is if you're going marching up the field one by one, you're eventually going to be stopped for a first down, as opposed to with an explosive play where you're gaining most of the field in one play. Uh, I'd find an explosive play by a gain of 20 yards or more. Uh, then you're in essence like breaking the conditional probability problem uh, by being able to gain all the yards that the first downs would do. And what's interesting with the Bengals is that uh, they actually gained the most EPA uh, on explosive plays because they were so valuable. It wasn't just that they were getting, you know, 20, 21 yards, but they were constantly breaking 50 yard touchdowns. I mean, if you just like, even go back to the film, like Joe Burrow was hitting Jamar Chase for a 55 yard touchdown every single week. I was lucky that I was uh, playing that DFS too. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's the sort of thing where I think EPA per drive can be helpful uh, as almost the framework of like where the team is at on a, on a like team level specifically um, and how like, yes, they're going to be shortcomings. Um, and I think it's going to, I think it maybe overvalues first downs, especially if you can have a consistent explosive offense uh, like the Bengals had. Yeah. And, and looking forward to the, the 2022 season, uh, you know, I was just kind of like thinking of, of teams that kind of fit the bill that you're talking about, like the 49ers kind of jump out to me, right? Like they, they kind of had their offense, like be planned on consistency these past couple of years with Jimmy G as quarterback. And that led for them to, you know, not have as many explosives and as many 50 yard touchdowns, uh, like you mentioned, but, you know, getting Trey Lance in there with his wide range of outcomes, uh, you know, probably wider than any quarterback in the league going into this year. Uh, you know, if you wanted to to take that right tail outcomes and, you know, go all in on the 49ers this season, because Trey Lance getting in there will, you know, they'll, they'll have explosive rushes. Uh, linebackers will, you know, have a tough time, you know, guarding uh, Devo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, because they have to also account for an extra man in the run game now. And all that type of stuff is really going to maybe increase the, the 49ers offense and take them to, you know, at a, a level that they haven't been able to reach uh, with Jimmy G. Is is there any other teams you you kind of see fitting that bill? Or, or do you even think the 49ers fit it? So I think the 49ers fit the bill. I think the market's also pressing that in. Where they've got like the seventh best uh, Super Bowl odds. And I think like I'm personally not betting uh, Trey Lance only because I, I see such a kind of mystery box as you're, uh-huh. you're alluding to. Um, I think it's really difficult because as opposed to last year, um, where it almost seems like the NFL is a little bit more wide open. Uh, kind of the quarterbacks that would fit the bill uh, for me or offenses I'd want to target are in such a crowded AFC that I actually really don't like uh, really any Super Bowl features at this point in the season. Mm. Uh, only because like, in theory, I'd like Trevor Lawrence. In theory, maybe I'd like Zach Wilson. But like, these guys have got to go through so many teams in the AFC. Um, I jumped on the Chargers early. I actually think they're they're my AFC pick. Uh, even despite what the market says, I'll still take them oh, as yeah. number one. I know that's that's music to Arjun's ears. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think like, again, it's in a vacuum, I'd say, you know, the Jaguars and, and maybe the Jets, but I wouldn't actually be placing those bets given the context of the AFC. 
Yeah. I mean, like you don't like to our listeners, like you don't have to tie up your money now. Like you could always wait until midseason or or see how your teams that you might like, like you could see how that team is playing out. And even if they're not starting out the hottest, like if like Judah alluded to, like if they have those wide range of outcomes that that could still be worth placing a bet on. Obviously, you want to make sure they can make the playoffs first. But um, I mean, like another another thing that me and Tasia talked a lot about and we were curious to get your opinions is like this idea of like fading the public. So like to put it in a nutshell, right? Like the public doesn't move the betting markets. The public doesn't move the spreads. So those are the sharps. And if, if any of our listeners listen to like the PFF forecast, they've held, I think like three really good episodes in a row where it's just straight, like talking about betting in Vegas with like people like Drew Disnick and uh, Dinsick and uh, Andy Molitor, like, and just even Eric and George themselves. And like, the Vegas only moves the lines because sharp people place down these huge wagers, like up to the limits. Right. And, and the Vegas essentially is paying them to be like a consultant at like basically. And so like the public really doesn't mean shit and it doesn't know anything like the whole idea of like, Oh, the like 93% of the public is on uh, the, the chiefs minus three and the line hasn't moved. Like, Oh, it's a trap. Like Vegas, it's going to Cardinals are going to win out. Right. Right. Like that's, it's kind of BS because it's, it's more so that the sharps have been moving the market or they're not moving the market at all. So do you like, do you also think and like the idea of like fading the public or is that some just kind of like, you know, like fluky thing that'll happen every now and then? Yeah. So I guess the way to answer this question is I don't really care about the public. I don't even really care so much about sharp betters. Um, I think this is a lesson I learned from DFS, which is there's like such a fixation on like ownership percentages and how you have to like beat your own unique lineup. But the way I always saw it was, if I'm playing particular players in a particular lineup, um, that means that I, I think I, this is the lineup that's going to score the most points. And like, I'm going to have my own unique lineup. I don't really care uh, if someone's got ownership stuff. I think the same thing is I personally don't really bet unless I have conviction on a particular play, which is I'm not like seeing that other people are taking a side uh, and therefore uh, I should take the opposite. Like, that's just not like if that's your style. Yes, I would fade the public. Uh, I'm with you there. But for me, it's like if I have conviction, I have conviction regardless of what other people say. Like, what what good is my conviction if I'm just basically, you know, towing it away with what someone else says? Uh, that's not really valuable. So the way I see it is just like you should fine tune your own process. You should take in a lot of available information. Right. That's not to say uh, because I don't really care about uh, sharp betters, whatever it is, uh, that like I shouldn't take into account information in my decision process. But once I've actually made that choice, I don't, I don't really care. Like I have full confidence uh, that I'm going to live or die by kind of my predict, my, my conviction and the way I'm going to bet. Yeah. I, I, I do like that, that idea. And you know, that, that there, there, there is like kind of like a balance between, you know, like kind of looking at, you know, what, what the outside is saying, but also, you know, just making sure that, that you have your own processes in yeah. place and everything and everything. Yeah. I'll add, I'll add one more thing, which is that almost like I find you can get caught in like a lot of groupthink if you're just like constantly looking for other people. It's like, I don't think I'm going to get on the Bengals 150 to one. No one's talking about that. You really have to have sort of your own process and your own way of viewing it. And like confidence uh, that like, okay, maybe you're onto something. And if you're not, and like uh, you're losing, you're going to have to change your process. Uh, it's sort of kind of a, a push and pull from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Is like going from, uh, you know, 
the combination of process based on, you know, getting things like closing line value or, or different things like that, but also results based on like, yeah, you need to be, be winning some of these bets here. You can't, can't only like rely on closing line value if, if it's not going in the, in the, the way that you want it to and everything. But, you know, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm glad you got on the Chargers early because like they're definitely, you know, one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting team in the NFL this year. Uh, you know, I think, I think like the, the combination of, having a top four quarterback, you know, having a coach uh, going into the second year, um, you know, having just variants break the their way for once instead of, you know, against them could all be things that that really helped them this year. And I'm, I'm very, very excited to see how the AFC West plays out uh, with with them, hopefully, you know, leading the the, the division there. Yeah, no, that's uh, it'll be exciting to watch. I'm sure Arjun's uh, gearing up. We all are. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm excited for football. I'm just excited for football. Judah, is there any, you know, we asked Ben around this, but like, is there any win total bets you want to give out or, or division winner bets you want to give straight forecast, like any, any type of bets that you feel confident in? You don't have to obviously, but you know, we'd love yeah. to get. I mean, I'll give, I'll give a few. You can, you can stay tuned for the full analysis on, on PFF.com. I love the Carolina alternate over seven and a half plus two Oh five. You can get it on Caesars. Uh, I think just on on one foot, uh, the market is pricing in Carolina as a well below league average team. I think that their defense should be above league average. I think Baker Mayfield is a league average quarterback. And if you're giving me a 30% chance uh, break even probability that the team's going to win eight games uh, and you've got a league average quarterback and a league average defense, granted the coach is a little bit of an issue, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump all over that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're. I mean, you've been. I know you've been on the Panthers a little bit, and on your Twitter, you've been on another podcast talking about it. So, you know, if if you want more analysis on that bet, you can go check out Judah's um, Twitter, which we'll we'll talk about, you know, in this, in the closing. But, but yeah, like, is there is there any other any other bet you like? I know we talked about the Titans one a little. One bit. more. I was gonna say the the Titans yeah. under. I haven't actually. Uh, I I take their under eight and a half at plus one sixty. Also available on Caesars. Uh, I just, I, I don't see the wheels uh, staying on much longer. Um, I think it's like, it's true of coaches. Like Mike Vrabel is a really good coach until he's not, which is like, there's almost some magic sauce that like he's won 11 games and or 12 games. And then all of a sudden he doesn't, I just don't think the the talent is really there without, without AJ Brown uh, relying on Robert Woods, who's, who's relatively old rookie receiver uh, with Traylon Burks. And uh, I just, if you're, it's the same, it's the same Derrick Henry's an opportunity cost problem that, you know, got me, got me started uh, in this space, which is if you're, if you're running the ball, no matter how good Derrick Henry is, it's inefficient. Uh, and I just see the wheels coming off for the Titans this year. Yeah. I think like the, the point about Vrabel is really interesting because head coaches are so hard to evaluate when you can't see what they're doing, right? Like we know why Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay have kept their jobs uh, you know, for, for so long and, and, you know, I've had so much success because they're top tier offensive play callers uh, when it comes to like Mike Rabel or, you know, different types of coaches that are there for culture, like more, you know, labeled as player coaches. It's tough to see exactly why like that, that their teams have been doing well. Like, you know, maybe the, the talent just has been really, really good for them. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it is something that they do and, and make the players like play really hard for them, but it's hard to maintain a winning culture when your roster is turning over, you know, so much year to year. And I think like AJ Brown and Corey Davis and Janu Smith were so crucial for that Titans offense to be so good uh, these past couple of years. 
um, and, and not having all three of them and, you know, replacing them with, with basically all new pieces, like you mentioned, is it's going to be tough to, to like keep up that, that level of consistency that the Titans offense has been having lately. Yeah. Right there, right there with you. <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks Judah. This was, this is a ton of fun. Uh, you know, always, always love to hear you talk football because, you know, I think your background being so unique, uh, kind of gives a, a cool perspective that, you know, you say so many things that, that, uh, you know, I, I don't think of all the time and everything, but yeah, for, for anyone listening out there, be sure to check Judah out with, you know, probably the best Twitter handle, uh, on, on, you know, football, like Twitter at throw the damn ball, um, on, on damn, it's just DAM. Uh, wait, wait, is that, did it, does Twitter not let you swear in, in your, I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't get the don't, I don't know if someone else had the domain name oh, or they okay. put the N in there, but we were stuck with the, with the damn DAM. Yeah, DAM. So so be sure to, to check out his his Twitter there. Um, you know, he also has a a substack that you know he he used to write on before coming to PFF, which has like great content to check out. You know, me and Arjun have read basically every piece on that substack. And then yeah, check out his his work at you know pff.com and and everything else that he does for the, the rest of his internship there. Yeah, Judah, if you want to plug anything else, feel free. No, I mean the Twitter pff.com subsec. I just want to thank you guys. Always great to, to talk football and really paving a way in the space for people like me. Uh, it's, it's much appreciated and uh, I thank you every day for it. Super pumped to have Josiah Clark goes by at sharp Clark NFL on Twitter on the podcast, talking everything, betting with football. You know, Josiah is one of my favorite follows when it comes to uh, football in general and also like how he's able to bet on football, some of the methodologies he uses to bet on football. So, you know, Josiah, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's just going to be you and me today. Tage is, you know, somewhere else right now, a little bit busy, but really happy to have you on. How are uh, how, how you been today? Good, good. I'm really excited to be here. When you guys launched your podcast, I was Hoping to get an invite at some point. I was going to wait patiently. Um, I know you, you've had some tremendous guests and I've been really enjoying uh, the podcast. So just happy to, to participate. Yeah, I know. Really appreciate those kind words. And as always, you know, we like to kind of just give an introduction of like how we got introduced to our guests or our favorite thing about them. And, um, you know, one of my favorite things about you is just how original you are. Not many people or any people really do what you do when it comes to betting how you watch every single game and have your own rating system, which I think is, is a great way of um, evaluating offenses and defenses and teams in general. So we'll definitely hop into that. But first I wanted to start off, like how did you get into betting? How did you get into like loving football and eventually like, betting on football at the level you, you bet at? Yeah. So, you know, getting into football is just a matter of, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in England actually. And me and my dad used to do like fantasy football where you would you'd get the, the paper in, in the mail and it would kind of give you the stats on the players. And so you had to kind of tally it up by hand. And so that was like we were watching what we called American football way back then. And so I, I kind of grew up on it, even though I was in England. And then when I came here, I just got more and more into it. Um, I just find that the the game to be so interesting in terms of the combination of strategy and like the physical element uh, combining, I think it's a really unique game to analyze in the sense that a lot of other sports are a bit more chaotic, whereas football is like play by play, very cerebral. Um, and so I just really enjoy that aspect of it. And I started betting casually uh, maybe about 15 years ago, like anyone else, I, I like to, 
be competitive and I like to have a financial stake in the outcome of my opinions and predictions. And so I think it just created, you know, a, a perfect scenario where I was trying to find every edge I possibly could never betting very much, just kind of having fun. Um, and it wasn't until uh, about three years ago that I got really, really serious and developed like an entire analytical framework that, that I use now on. And now I bet significantly more than I used to. And uh, now that I'm doing it more seriously. Yeah, no, I, I was really curious if you would be able to elaborate on this analytical edge that I think you've, you've found and, and kind of just talk about your adjusted rating system where you kind of watch every single snap from every single game and, and kind of grade teams based on that. And that's how you come up with some of your, um, some, some of your point totals and your spreads. Like, can you elaborate on your betting process to some of our listeners? Sure. I, my process is, is trying to simplify the entire sport, I guess. Um, I think in, in a world where, you know, the, the betting markets are dictated by people who have these really advanced uh, statistical algorithms and really, really good models. Um, and, and those people are really smart and they can backtest and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that I go the other way. And what I do is I try to use the inputs to those models against the people making the markets. And I think the only way to do that is to understand where the flaws in those statistical models come from. So what I do is I watch every snap of every game and I have my own analytical framework that measures performance holistically, basically to answer the question, when the offense lines up on the field, how effectively does it move the ball down the field and get in the end zone? And conversely, for the other team's offense. And distill that down into a numerical value that I'm the only one using because I'm creating it myself. Mm. And using that for every one of my computer programs that I write. So the goal is to measure actual performance on the field better than score does, better than EPA per play does, better than any other metric. And so using that number, I can then analyze when teams maybe perform better or worse than expectation in reality, not based on scores, because you can get a lot of misleading results. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to find the edge by differentiating between those uh, flawed results and flawed inputs. Yeah, no, that's that's such a good point. And and one of the things I kind of wanted to look into as as my summer wraps up is like the idea of like a one score game, I feel like is so um, like overblown that like, you know, a one score game is, is just counted as any game that's won or lost by eight or less. But like in reality, I mean, a one score game, like one score game can just be backdoored by the losing team in the final six minutes. Right. Like that that was kind of a little bit of the Eagles last year, like Jalen Hurts would just put up all these garbage time stats and, and turn all these like double digit score games into one score games. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like your idea behind one score games? Cause I know you've put up some really interesting thoughts regarding that. And uh, specifically, I think it was about the Raiders in some of their one score wins. Um, but like just in general, like what is your philosophy on like how you view one score games? Yeah. So the, the final score of a game is, is not an input in anything that I do. So it's kind of irrelevant to me. Yeah. Uh, the, my performance ratings are the only metric that matters to me. So when people say, you know, this team had this many one score games and indicates, you know, in the long run, one score games are going to be 50, 50. So you can kind of uh, use, re you know, regression to indicate how many wins they should have got. For me, I'm looking at what were their performance ratings and how like translating that into a win percentage, translating that into a point differential, and then using that as my baseline. So, for example, the Lions last year were in a one-score game with the 49ers in week one, um, in part because they, they were down, I think it was 41 to 17 with two minutes left, and then they got 
a touchdown and then they recovered the onside kick and then Debo Samuel fumbled and they, you know, were driving to tie the game late. Um, but overall in the course of that game, my effectiveness ratings had the 49ers as about, you know, 15 to 20 points better than the Lions in that game overall. And so if they play that game repeatedly, in my mind, the 49ers are going to win by a significant margin, you know, every game. So the fact that it was a one score game means nothing to me. I'm putting that down as a 49ers win by about 15 to 20, depending on what my number said. Um, so that's kind of how I, you know, I, I think one score games can be misleading, but they can also be accurate sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I, I love I love when you brought that up on in some of the Twitter discussions we've had uh, and you with other people as well. I, I wanted to kind of transition into the idea of like good process versus results. Um, like I've I've been betting only for like about a year now. And like I've, I know there's some times where there's a bet I make and the result is ends up in my favor. But like. If, if I watch or follow throughout the game, it's, it doesn't really seem, doesn't really seem like a good bet until the end. Can you like talk a little bit about how like sometimes a bad process can lead to good outcomes, but also good out or good processes can lead to bad outcomes and like how you filter through a lot of those games or thoughts as a better and, and, you know, be able to keep like a calm mindset as, as knowing that your process is good and, and sound throughout the course of a season. <laughs> This is a great question. And it's, and it's tough, you know, like trying to be objective about your own bets is really, really tough. Um, and, and it's something that I try to like, I keep in mind that it's tough because that, that means that I'm going to dedicate the appropriate amount of, you know, focus to it. Um, but I think there's, there's just so many ways that you can look at the game. So, so for example, there are things that happen between when you make the bet and the game starts that impact the game. There, there was a bet last year I had, I bet on the Saints to beat the Dolphins. I think it was minus three on Monday Night Football. It was like my most, I was, it was my, one of my biggest bets of the year. I was so excited about it. I thought they were going to crush him. And then the day after I make the bet, like the entire Saints roster gets ruled out with COVID. Mm. And now Ian Book is starting behind a, a no offensive line. And the Saints obviously did nothing all game on offense and, and the Dolphins won. And so I lost one of my biggest bets of the year. And I, I didn't learn anything about whether that was, good or bad process really I, I i still think it was good process but but you know it's tough to say because of what happened but i know that the fact that i lost that bet doesn't mean that i had bad process that was completely out of my control and then you have things that happen within the game that are kind of similar and you kind of have to you know be willing to accommodate those things and recognize when those are the things that swing the outcome of the game versus your your read of the game and, and your handicap um, and that's just something i try to do on a game-by-game -game basis and the fact that I watch every snap and I'm grading every snap helps me do that because when I'm grading, I want to be accurate in my grading. I'm not trying to grade it in a way that makes me feel good about my bet because that's going to be bad process down the line. Yeah. So I'm motivated to be objective as, as objective as possible uh, when I'm doing my grading. And then I use that to evaluate whether or not it was a good bet and whether or not there was some, you know, things like skill position player fumbles are, are pretty random. And sometimes they can swing a game or kickoff return touchdowns, things like that. Yeah, Josiah, I know, I know you're a Chiefs fan, and like you know, this past this past season when when the Chiefs played the Bengals in the playoffs, I think I think the Chiefs were seven point favorites or maybe six and a half. Um, you know, like I I thought Bengals six, I thought taking the Bengals spread was was a good bet at that time. But you know, for for people that don't really have like models like you do or, or ratings or models like PFF does, like and they just kind of bet off vibes or, or like our steam move steam movement, or just like, Oh, Bengals are have Joe Burrow, right? Like the, he's kind of, he was like 
in the media, he was kind of being portrayed in that, in that like superstardom light. And they take like a Bengals money line in that game. And the Bengals are down 21, three becomes 21, 10. And it should have been 20, 20, uh, eight to 10 at halftime, but obviously they the chiefs couldn't score at the one yard line in that game. Like is, was Bengals money line an example of bad process that le- this was an optimal outcome because like, it, it felt like the chiefs dominated the Bengals as I thought they would, but the Bengals clawed their way back and not only cover the spread, but was they were able to win outright. Like, do you, do you think, think that was just like a random event where like the process wasn't sound if you, unless you really thought the Bengals like stood a legit chance against the chiefs. Um, what do you think it was an example of like bad process, good outcome, or am I just completely off there? I, I don't think so because it, you know, the second half, the Bengals just outplayed the chiefs, you know? So if, if you flip that game around and the second half happens first, then we're talking about how the chiefs had a miracle comeback uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to force overtime. And I like my, the, the thing was the chiefs, did not perform on offense and you know I don't know the reason for that like I'd never seen Mahomes choke like that in the second half of a game like that um and I and I I went back and rewatched the game like weeks later you know after the emotions had settled and I do think I do think there were a lot of things that kind of went against the Chiefs that were very subtle and so I think the Chiefs still win that game more often than not but you have to give the Bengals credit because they clawed their way to victory. I mean, they, they did what they had to do on offense. They made the stops on defense and the chiefs even got the ball on overtime and still didn't get a first down. It was, it was a complete collapse by the chiefs. And so I, I think if you bet the money line, I didn't, I didn't bet that game, but I bet the Bengals to win the AFC in week 16 or 17, mm-hmm. um, kind of looking ahead. I anticipated that they would throw their last game to get the four seeds. So they didn't have to play, Kansas city or Buffalo in in the second round. And sure enough, they did. And then they played Tennessee, which is an easy out. So they, they made it to the championship game. I thought they were going to lose to the chiefs. And so I didn't bet it. Um, but I was happy to collect on my AFC ticket. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a great bet. And, you know, you and our, our mutual friend, Judah Forking also had some Bengals features. So glad you guys were able to profit off that. And I mean, I'm still of the belief that if, if the Bengals went to Buffalo to play the bills, they would have got blown out, but you know, we'll, we'll never know there. Um, I, I wanted to transition to another topic. We, we haven't really touched on in, in our other interviews and something that I think you've done a great job at is gaining closing line value. Can you just elaborate on like what the importance of closing line value means to you and like how that not it doesn't necessarily only determine if it's a good bet or not, but like how uh, gaining closing line value helps to improve your processes and and make and at least like helps you know your processes are somewhat sound. I think I like to think of closing line value from the perspective of what does the closing line indicate, and the closing line indicates. When, when the books are taking the biggest bets of the week, that is what the biggest bettors are kind of agreeing on is the fair price for the game. And, and, you know, it's a misnomer to think that books want equal action on both sides, but books generally, especially the sort of market making books like circus sports, they, they will respect the action of certain players that they know to be long-term winners and move the line according to those bets. And so I think it's wrong to think, you know, well, the sharps are on the side that kind of like moved, you know, it moved towards the sharp side. And so the sharps are on that side. I think it's more accurate to say the closing line represents the value at which sharps were on both sides. Right. And so if you manage to get a bet that moves in your favor, 
and closes in your, you know, in your favor, then you were ahead of where the sharps ultimately settled. And it's, it's very possible there were other sharps that were betting with you on that same number. And that's great. You want to join them. But, but it, what it represents is that you are effectively ahead of the market. Now, I don't think it's the be all end all. And I'm less market driven than a lot of uh, really good bettors. And so I think, you know, you could have a really good conversation with someone much more in tune with the market than, than me, because sometimes I will see a side and I will anticipate that the market likes one side and I, and I like the other side. And so in those cases, it's really important to understand the market dynamics because now I know to wait and I don't want to bet it. I don't want to bet it. I want to wait, wait, wait. And then once the line has moved to where it's going to move, then I get in. And so in that case, I'm representing sort of the other side of what I was talking about is where the sharp settle. It's like I'm settling on the other side of that closing line, but I don't want to bet it before it moves. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a better, better than uh, Simon Hunter who will take the line and he'll, even though he'll know it, it's going to move against him, he'll just keep betting it. Um, I mean, that, that interview is golden, but, but yeah, to our listeners, like, you know, Josiah has his own website, sharp, sharpclark.com. And I've read all of his division previews and, uh, and all of his bets that he makes for the division. It seems like every win total or division winner bet you've made has got closing line value. So, I mean, you've got to feel, you got to feel great about that. Um, I wanted to transition into some bets you've already made. I, I, I know you've placed a lot of win total bets early in the off season. Is there, is there any win totals you still like at their price? Uh, could be like a regular win total could be some alts over or under that you still like, but um, any, anything you're willing, willing to give out to our listeners? Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I do think there's value in alts at this point because you know, there's a lot of variance in the NFL and our outcomes. We tend to be more sure of ourselves when we're, when we're predicting outcomes and, um, you know, I think at this point with the Lions being so efficient, it's not so much about beating the market. It's about finding the right price. Um, there's one bet I like is the the Patriots under eight and a half wins. I bet that really early in the cycle and it just hasn't moved. And I think that's fine. I mean, it came out pretty low. Um, but this Patriots team is really, I think, has a lot of question marks. Yeah. Um, you know, last year they were built to run the ball well behind a really strong offensive line, and they had the lead in so many games because their defense capitalized against a lot of really bad and inexperienced quarterbacks. And we know that Bill Belichick thrives against inexperienced quarterbacks. They played several rookies, several bad teams, and just slaughtered them. Whereas in 2022, their offensive line has – in my opinion, taking a step back, they've lost a couple guys. Yeah. Uh, their, their run game may not be as efficient as a result. And they play a much more difficult schedule of opposing offenses and probably only one rookie on the schedule. Um, maybe none, you know, it depends who, who the Steelers start. Um, and then they do play Justin Fields, which will probably feel like a rookie game. But other than that, it's, it's all experienced quarterbacks. And so I just don't think the Patriots going to have it easy. And I think Bill Belichick is great, but there's only so much he can do with this roster. And, it sounds like the offense has no idea what it's doing at this point. You know, Matt Patricia's calling plays. Matt, Mac Jones is very limited physically. He, he could basically make two throws last year and just burn people with those two throws. But if he doesn't get single coverage, he gets stuck. And I think that's going to happen this year. So, yeah, no, I look, I, I love that bet. I, I have so much respect for Belichick to like to not make it, but, but I totally understand the reasoning and, 
I agree with you. Like, I don't think I've seen a single positive report out of Patriots camp when it, in regards to the offense or the offensive play calling. So, you know, Patriots under eight and a half, I think that's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. And it, it's probably, you know, I don't think the Patriots have gotten a lot of like attention this off season. So that's probably, probably why, like they had a quiet off season. Um, so probably why the line didn't move as much. Um, now looking forward and, to, and to be, yeah. I was going to say, to be fair, like, Belichick hides his cards, you know, like, yeah. so the, the, the idea that there are negative reports coming out of Patriots camp means less than it might in some other circumstances, but the specific things that I'm hearing, you know, I, I actually like to read, uh, you know, camp reports to see what they're saying. That's positive because, you know, when I look at Mac Jones's film, like I said, he struggled when he doesn't get single coverage. Like he can drop the ball over the defender when he's got one-on-one -on -one coverage on the outside and he's got really good placement on it, but he couldn't throw over the middle. He couldn't throw in traffic. He couldn't, he couldn't succeed when the safeties weren't coming up to stop the run. And so when I read these camp reports, they're like, you know, literally Mac Jones throws a beautiful pass in single coverage. It's like, yeah, great. We know that. Yeah. What I want to know is how he's doing, you know, in, in the different situations. And then I see another report that's like, you know, Mac Jones struggling over the middle. And I'm like, okay, so nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. No, again, that's that's part of why I love your analysis. I think you dive deeper into some of these things that I, I wouldn't even think of. Um, looking ahead to some week one lines, have you have you bet anything so far? Or is, is week one line something that you want to take up to pretty much that Sunday and wait for injury reports and, and things of that nature? I have taken – I pretty much have my whole week one slate finished at this point. Um, in, in most cases, if I think that I have an angle, I'm, I'm going to bet it unless I think the market's going to move against me. Most of the time, I'm just going to bet it um, because if I'm right, then, you know, the action will follow. Uh, so one of my earliest bets of the offseason, I think it actually was my earliest bet, was the Ravens minus four and a half at the Jets. You know, that's moved up to six. Yeah. I was kind of hoping to move up to seven. I think it's lost a little bit of momentum. Maybe Mekhi Becton's injury will will push it over. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so that was one that I really wanted because I was like, okay, like if Lamar Jackson gets hurt during during training camp, like you take the loss on the bet because there's no way they should have been laying only four and a half. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I'll give away the other one that has moved uh, in my favor, which is the Jags. I took plus four and a half and the money line plus 175. You can still get plus three and a half, but I don't think that's going to last. Um, so if you do like the Jags, I would say bet it early. Uh, they're playing at Washington. And I think I think the Jags are a better team than Washington. I think Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. And so when this game comes down to the wire, potentially, I think Trevor Lawrence wins it. And so I think the money line is great value. Yeah. No, love, love both of those bets. Um, I, I did bet Ravens minus four and a half with you offshore because it came out when I was in California and not when I was in a legalized state. So love those. Um, final topic wanted to talk about quarterbacks. So, you know, you're you're one of the best like quarterback evaluators when it comes to like tying film and analytics together that I've you know read in over the past couple of months. But I wanted to talk about like how you evaluate quarterback situations like Cleveland, like um, Carolina and Pittsburgh, where I mean, like you kind of have a good idea of like who's going to be the starter. So obviously it's going to be Deshaun and Cleveland. But like, how do you? how do you like evaluate the Browns and like, how do you come up with your ratings for the Browns with, with Brissett at the helm? Or like, I'm not sure if you see the three Pittsburgh quarterbacks as interchangeable or the Carolina quarterbacks as interchangeable, but like, how does your process differ when it comes to evaluating these different quarterbacks on these respectable teams? 
quarterback archetypes is one of the most important parts of my handicapping process. And what I mean by archetypes is like every quarterback has different, uh, I guess, situations in which they're going to succeed and, and fail and, and to different degrees. Right. So for example, a quarterback archetype like Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's kind of his own archetype because he's, he's pretty special. Um, but his, his ability to create plays limp, like d- does not require the types of weapons on the outside that maybe a more pocket, pocket, pocket passer focused quarterback might. So when I look at the Ravens roster and I say, well, they're thin at receiver for sure. Like who, who are they going to throw to outside of Mark Andrews and Bateman? And even those two like aren't necessarily elite. Like Mark Andrews is a great tight end, but he's a tight end. Uh, they don't have a lot of pass catching running backs. So for a lot of quarterbacks, I'd be worried. But with Lamar Jackson, he creates so much of his action out of the pocket that those receivers then have additional seconds to get open. And in the NFL, no cornerback can guard an NFL caliber receiver, even even a second or third tier wide receiver for longer than five, six seconds. Like it's just impossible. And so what Lamar Jackson does is he lowers the sort of ability that his receivers need in order to be successful. Um, the other thing that he does is he improves the run game because he is an extra runner, which essentially mean an extra extra blocker. It's yeah. like having a fullback in every play without having a fullback. And so, you know, a guy like that, when I'm, I'm evaluating his role in the offense as a quarterback, it's like tied to the situation of the team. Now, a guy like Baker Mayfield is on the opposite end of that spectrum. He has he has shown that when he has time in the pocket and his receivers get open, he can hit them. He can make the throws. He, he's got an arm. He can anticipate he, he, like He's, he's been impressive. He can, he can throw the ball with zip, which is, you know, more than we can say from Mac Jones going back mm-hmm. to, <laughs> going back to Mac Jones, but, but he's, he's someone that needs the circumstances to be right. And in Carolina, there are some good receivers, you know, DJ Moore's a good receiver. Robbie Anderson has been good at times, you know, maybe one of the other guys can take a step forward. Terrace Marshall, uh, Christian McCaffrey is a great check down option. And so as long as he's healthy, that'll help. Offensive line, I'm not totally sold on. They got a rookie. Yeah. They weren't too impressive last year. Um, I think if if it all falls on his shoulders and he's having to make plays late in games, not a situation I really want to back the Panthers in. But if the defense comes out firing like they did last year and they can build a lead and rely on McCaffrey and he can play in rhythm and, and sort of take the pressure off, then I think he can succeed. And, and that's a big you know, spectrum of outcomes. And so I, I'm not betting on the Panthers' season-long bets because I think there's – I think there's a lot of unknowns there. Yeah, I know that's like it's so it's awesome when you know the what you say kind of backs is backed up with data. Like in in the past three year four years, Baker Mayfield is one of three quarterbacks whose EPA gets worse when he's expected to pass. So if he's playing from behind later in games or playing in these expected pass situations, he's probably not going to be as successful as when he's playing from a lead and when the defense is expecting him to or the offense to run a little bit more. But but yeah, Josiah, this is this was awesome. Um, for our listeners, you can find Josiah on Twitter at Sharp Clark NFL. He has his own website, sharpclark.com, and is also an analyst for four for four dot uh four for four fantasy football, or it's just like four for four. Yeah, four for four dot com. Yep. Yeah. So you can find all of his betting picks there and analysis there. And again, Josiah is one of the best people I follow. So you know, come he comes highly recommended. So you know, Josiah, I really want to thank you. Also want to thank our other guests, Ben Brown at PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter and Judah Forking at throw to the damn ball, damn without an N. And until next time, take care.